So again, my name is Brad Johnson, and um, we're going to be going through establishing your market. So just so you know, just because I'm California, those really are tomato plants. <laughs> I did wonder. <laughs> so this won't be as long as that last session I had. If you guys have more questions. Um, I don't, I didn't take as much time on this one. So establishing your markets, designer agriculture, developing your farm's clientele, farmer's market, CSAs, wholesale, co-ops, resources, communication, pricing, adding value. Which comes first, the market or the product? Is that what you were asking? Uh, Alan? So with the vegetable business, for us, we started with growing products and learned how and what we wanted to grow and basically did both simultaneously over the last 40 years. I spent time on the phone calling buyers, driving truck, doing fruit stands, selling roadside out of a pickup with an umbrella or under a shade tree. I, I developed a route of places that would buy from, from us over to the coast and back. Back when we had no certification, organic certification, just a one, back then we had no cer organic certification, just a one or two paragraph page explaining our practices. But we would sell to all who wanted our product. So in case you, this is just what we did, uh, produce, we gave this either to our wholesale buyers or anybody that we sold to that wanted to know our practices. So this is what we said. We are a family farm operation located 70 miles north of Sacramento. We hope in our program we are able to bring a product to you with its finest potential of minerals, enzymes, and flavor. Our program of building the soil includes compost, rock dust, manure, cover crops, occasional fuller applications of kelp and other natural elements if needed. Insect control is obtained by using beneficial insects, mechanical or physical means. However, if spraying is necessary, we use natural occurring compounds. Weeds are controlled by using mulch, mechanical and physical cultivation. We do not use synthetic fertilizers or compounds. We have been working with commercial scale organic farming since 1975. Each year we learn new things and make improvements. We hope you are satisfied with our produce. If not, please let us know. We welcome any helpful suggestions. To me, that seems adequate um, for what we do today. It's just in the, in the meantime, between then and now, uh, there's a whole bunch of paperwork involved. So this is just a picture of me um, hauling, I think I was probably hauling watermelons into San Francisco on a little one-ton truck, um, getting ready to go in there. And... Uh, uh, probably 120, 150 miles, somewhere there. I'd have to, somewhere there. When we first started in the 70s, we grew organically, and the local people didn't care so much, just wanted cheap and fresh. So we found we could sell or truck into San Francisco and to distributors and get better prices there at wholesale than retail at local. So that is where our markets developed. So we learned what pack what the wholesale markets needed. 
For example, our pack of heirloom tomatoes is a 10-pound single layer. The market is much more forgiving for an heirloom pack than slicier tomatoes because heirlooms are not a uniform tomato. But, still, but even still, as the market is more competitive, the quality is, is still important. And each commodity has its pack style. I don't know area to area around the U.S., but I would go to the market in your area, like I would go to my market in my area, and find out what was being grown wholesale and look at their pack, decide how to, what they wanted to receive it at, and that's how we did it. We pack a cucumber pack, a 25-pound cucumber pack, and then it's all sized. We have large, medium, and small in the cucumber pack. Pretty much the same as zucchini. We have medium, uh, what do you call the middle ones? Fancy and extra fancy. And sunburst, we do small, medium, and large. Or basically, you know, we call them fancy and extra fancy and mediums. Eggplant is by size and weight and count. So we do either a 20 or 25 pound box, and it was an 18 to 24 count per box on the standard pack. Roma tomatoes, we do by size, weight, and color. And then for a while, we did this little um, clamshell pack. And if you do a pack like that, of course, you're, you know, there's another regulation that said that you've got to do, if you close the box, close the package, then you need a uh, UPC code and, uh, and labeling and all that if you put it into a, in a, into a package. That's, that's that barcode that's underneath. And you got, we'd have to put that on the bottom. So when you, they, they scan it, it would be on, it keep the package. I don't know what, the, what they are now, because we got away from that probably, I don't know, that's probably 20 years ago. So, so you have to buy, you have to buy a uh, register, whatever, with the, get your code and all that stuff. And now it's come back again since the food regulation. We've kind of moved back into it again. So uh, for wholesale, we look for the quality of pack and do our best to provide that for our customers. Over time, we've become more reliable and better at growing and packing our, and our packing systems. Our markets begin to recognize us, and we begin to learn who we wanted to do business with, who we could trust, and they to us. And for us, because organic demand was growing and that was our practice, that continued to grow. Eventually, we got acquainted through our sales with a produce salesman who wanted to make a change and came to live on our farm and do sales. Then he transitioned into a full-time broker in his own business with a partner selling our farm products as well as other farms' products. Prior to that, I was doing all my own sales as well as our farming and harvesting business. But it has been a great relationship between um, our broker and us a real trusting friendship. I recommend to find people you can trust in the marketplace. Find your produce distribution place in your area and get acquainted as a possible place to market your produce. Find out what type of pack and quality is needed for your markets. When you say, when you say trust, what are you looking for? What are you... How do you establish that? Well, well what can happen? Well, yeah, and I'll, I'll 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 get into that a little bit. So, what happens if what what happens if you if if it doesn't work that way? Well, what our 
and maybe it's not answering the question quite, but what we've kind of eliminated by with our broker, we have he, we trust him. I mean, he's probably, in my opinion, he and his partner are probably some of the best in the business, and they're just phenomenal. They not only they not only um, sell our product, but they sell whatever we produce. It's not like you know we used to what we used to do is we would go we'd grow we'd start growing stuff, and then we like one market we had, we could easily outproduce what they would take. It's almost like, oh, we got 20 boxes. Okay, we got 50. Oh, sorry. Um, and then you had to start bouncing around. What they do, he does, he, he, so he, he's our focus, and then he goes like this to the market for our products. But in answer to your question, what can happen is, so maybe what I was getting to is he, he so then he filters it out, and they have, um, I don't know, their paperwork that they fill out with their buyers and in order to establish, you know, if they don't pay or that kind of stuff. But yeah, we've had, in, as later on in my pr pr presentation here, one of the bad things is early on, you didn't know if you could trust somebody. Sometimes you'd make a sale. We sold to one company for 30 days and they went bankrupt. And 30 days of produce shipping is a lot. And they were down in LA and, uh, you know, we went down to see what was going on and you know, they'd close up their doors and they were gone, you know, so was our money, or, you know, so those kind of things. So finding people who you can trust is, and how to establish that? Yeah, you know, you might, you might interview other people who are, do business with them, you know, or find out, kind of like you would an employee, so, you know, who, you know, you maybe have, they have a record, you know, or better, better business viewer or whoever, I'm not sure, but. We have not really gone that route. It's kind of like, well, that didn't work out. We're not going to do business with them anymore. You know, it's been more the hard knocks in a lot of ways. And you get to know people. You be, go to the, go meet them face to face, and you know, you, you kind of get established that way. So, um, so currently, regarding pricing, we rely on our broker to sell but we continue to keep in touch with the people who buy from us, at least sometime, some way during the year with personal visits at their offices or store or inviting them to our farm for a tour or such. We are not personally on the phone with them as much, so we need to make a special effort. So, um, since our, we've kind of, this is, this is our broker here. Since I do business, he does our business for us. What we do now, because we know our buyers, we know who he, do, who he does business with because we used to work with them directly. And so now what I do, not on everybody, every basis, I will go see them sometime and visit them face to face or at, invite them to come to the farm and see what we're doing and that kind of thing. Now, this picture, picture I put it in partly because we, um, we did this last year, cucumbers. And part of our, as if we're doing wholesale and pricing, you know, you've got to have a quality pack because you're selling retail basically at wholesale level because they're going to put it on the shelf and they want everybody who looks at it. it's got to be perfect. So we went to, we went to stringing up our cucumbers this year. Um, we used to grow them on the ground and hand pick them off the ground. So this year we shaded all of our cucumbers with shade cloth and we strung them up just like we do our tomatoes and it made a great difference. I and mean, we could hang them. So here you see a picture of them hanging and then my wife picking we put these covers on our uh, carts, which keeps it shaded all day when you're picking, as well as the shade above the 
above the uh, cucumbers. So it just gives, I'm doing everything I can to make a, a number one quality pack. Because we're not, we're, not we're not selling all of our, we're throwing away everything else pretty much. So uh, in regard to pricing, that's part of it. So that, I'm, I'm kind of saying pricing is knowing your customers and getting acquainted with your outlets, who you're doing business with, so they have a personal relationship with you. And they know, you know, when they say uh, no, then it's a little harder for them, I think, maybe. <laughs> On my own, I try to make friends in the market. Some places publish prices, so if you want to look for pricing, how are you going to establish your price? There are prices, sometimes they're delayed, like the, some of the government services, you can get charts of produce lists of what's selling at the marketplace and what the current prices are, but you don't know for sure if exactly the quality, if it's apples for apples. It tries, I'm sure they try to be. Um, so I talk, to pe I talk to people I know, and are willing to share with me. So sometimes you can find somebody in the marketplace that maybe you're not. So what are your competitors doing? If you want to look at it that way, who you're competing with and what are their prices? And you can't just call up your competitor and say, you could, I guess, hey, what are you selling for? And, and so we're dealing with a lot bigger companies and they'll publish their price lists. So we can get those. So we can see like if we're growing, say cabbage, for example. Uh, we can see their list of pricing and we can say okay this is where the market is because we're not going to if it's if is it's even quality in pack we're it's going to be hard for us to compete with that because they've got volume and we don't have the volume so we got to find what our edge is and so at least we know the price that helps and so we know what we're dealing with what, how we're going to have to price our product so um let's see um so knowing and being friends with your customers and knowing what your own costs are to produce something. So if you don't know what your costs are, you don't know if you're losing money at that price. So that's the other factor. You've got to figure out what it's going to cost me to produce this thing. And, and produce prices changes quickly. We sometimes evaluate our price on a daily basis. Um, so if we're, because we're hiring people, and we, I'm just not just going out there and picking everything myself and say, well, that's free labor. You know, I've got people I'm paying every day. So if I'm not paying that cost and the box and the shipping and the overhead, and I'm picking for, I'm selling at this price, you know, it might change tomorrow, but we kind of have a general feeling over time where that's going to go in the season. If we're starting at this price now, where's it going to be later? So, uh, tree crop, so if we're doing in tree crop pricing, they remain more steady. It changes more on an annual basis. So for peaches, you know, we establish a price pretty much once a year. And we, that's the price we get per ton. And that's, that's, there's somewhat of independent agencies on that. Like for prunes, we have a prune bargaining association. So it's an independent group of people that get together and try to establish a price between us and the, and the processors or the marketers or the sales group. So we have kind of an independent marketing, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, bargaining group to the markets. And then we can try to establish a price of where we're going to sell our product for but that usually remains steady for the whole year. And then it's reevaluated on the next year. Same thing with peaches. Um, pretty much I do that on my own sales with prunes because I sell my own prunes as well. And we kind of try to establish a price at the beginning of the season. And we say, here's where we're gonna be. And it, there's other growers in there. We kind of, so I, I'll kind of try to figure out what other growers are doing in, in the marketplace. I'm small, so I don't have a lot of leverage. 
So it, yes, yes. Well, like tree crops, we don't, I don't go back to it. You know, when we establish that price, we figure that's going to be for the whole year till we get to our next crop season. Vegetables, yeah. Uh, we're not as much involved with it now because we have a broker that we work with. But we're working with him every day. Every day, and then I'll call him sometimes on my own. I said, hey, where are we? What's coming up? This is what's coming out of our field next week. You know, it's either going to be this or it's going to be this or whatever it is. And he's, he calls us every day for estimates. And we project forward, and then we do a daily, and then when we ship, you know, the pricing we're trying to, and then so we have a, we try to establish a bottom line where we're, we're going to, we're quit picking. We can have excellent quality in the field. I've, I've worked up crops in the field, beautiful stuff, but we don't have a sale for it that's going to pay. So I just, I'm done. Well, it's going to be it's going yeah, it's going to be your quality. We we've, we've had our buyers tell us that we kind of sometimes set the standard for for the pack. That's not always the case, you know. We have other places that we sell to that will take a lower grade, so we can we can move vary our pack. Uh, but a lot of the edge is our personal relationship, going to see people, talk to them, let them know who we are. I'll kind of get into that a little bit more as I move along. Or some of the things we do to do that. Um, so I say as a small grower, I don't have a lot of leverage. So staying on good terms, learning to know and trust our customers goes a long way to being able to sell as well as getting a decent price. So this is a little bit of something we've been talking about. I, I want you to be aware of. I don't, I don't know if anybody needs to worry about this too much. Maybe you do, but you will at some point if you're going to sell wholesale to markets, to some markets. Because we have received an extensive set of questionnaires outside of the gap, which is the food safety and the, our agriculture practice from our buyers. So they're wanting to rate us as growers with a comprehensive set of questions above and beyond gap, dealing with a multitude of areas such as water use, pesticide use, environmental concerns, nutrient use, record keeping, air quality, knowledge of pests and weeds. I'm telling you. Uh, conservation, bee care, energy use, greenhouse gas emissions, erosion control, cultural practices, soil management, recycling, type of packaging, wastewater management, water conservation, health and safety for workers and work environment, fair labor auditing, etc. And then they're, then they're rating us to their customers. This is the way I think some markets are giving their customers a better knowledge of what they're supporting when they buy products from us or from a certain purchase at the store. Right, right. So their customers come to the store and they have a certain rating of all these issues. I'm buying this one or I'm not buying this one. Yeah. I suppose. Right. Right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So uh, what com some what many companies do is try to give customers a reason why they want to buy. People may then look beyond just price and quality as a reason to support you, such as I just told you about those things. Um, some do this. So you may have seen some of the commercials of this type of business that do this. They try to make you feel good. 
and give you a bigger reason to buy from them. I just saw um, a recent commercial last week doing that, trying to make you feel good for buying from them and all the good things their customers are doing by shopping there. This Yeah, yeah. Sure. You know, it's like, it's like you almost can't get off the ground before somebody knocks you back down. Yeah. So, uh, you just got to have so much capital on the ground to be able to look up. Yeah. Yeah. So, this is, a, this is a market that's promoting their local growers. This is one of them here, um, showing where their customers are getting their food. Um, so yeah, I've had, I have good and bad stories to tell regarding the market. Some of the bad, delivering watermelon after agreeing on a price, delivering it quite a distance, unloading it into their bins by hand out of my truck and getting it all unloaded and they say that we agreed on a different price, something less. No, 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 this is years ago at a, at a conventional, you know, we're just, ship it, we're just trying to sell melons or whatever we, wherever we could. Uh, another was, you know, another thing that happens sometimes. We ship across the country, and a product will get a, get rejected. It's not necessarily, you know, that's just something that happens. You know, it may didn't arrive at the right, you know, for whatever reason. Maybe it was the one box on that pallet that they pulled off, but it could have been, you know, they just didn't like what they got, you know, and they said, no, we're not going to take it. That's pretty much a loss to you if it goes to Denver or to wherever else, you know, from California. <clears throat> sometimes, yeah. But that's why I say most people we work with now, we don't even bat an eye. If that's the case, it was probably a problem. We just say, fine, it was a problem. And uh, we just move on. Yeah, I, it, it, in general, I'd say at this point we do. Um, we, we're dealing with some pretty good companies. So selling on consignment sometimes, only getting enough to pay for the box that's packed in. Uh, company, like I said, companies sometimes buying produce for 30 days and then going bankrupt. But some of the good, market's giving us a premium for our quality and actually giving us a bump up over the market and paying us at the top of the market keeping their, and paying us a price that's a, you know, at the top of the market and keeping their word even though the market price goes down. We've had that happen significantly to us to a, to a great degree be a really advantage you know, where the price was dropping and they said, no, we're going to pay you at what we told you. It's a really good thing. So something to consider, going to see your buyers, not just by phone. I've traveled from California to Atlanta to meet, re meet regional buyers as well as locally to keep in touch. So we, we meet the buyers at ag conferences or at their offices. We've traveled to, to a chain of stores up north in Oregon and made presentations to their staff about who we are and what we do getting acquainted so when they received our produce, they knew us and how to educate their customers about us. So we went up to a, a group of stores we sell to, real nice group, and they've got maybe 15 stores up near Portland. And the manager said, come on up and talk to our staff. So Judy and I went up with our kids. We took a little presentation. We went to their produce departments, met with their people that worked in that store, in that produce department, at all, a lot of different stores in the area and just showed him who we are. He said, it would be better to do that than come to our customers because then our, our managers can educate their customers to come in every day. So that's what we did. We went up there and just talked to them and showed them, you know, met with them and looked at their stores. 
And other stores, what we've done is taken, um, actually physically taken our product to their store. In San Francisco, we've done that where we'll go and in season, that when they're buying product from us, go back to their produce room, cut up our melons, take them out to the produce department from the grower, showing them what we have, getting them a taste of what we they're buying at the store, and doing it that way. And we, this is to the customer. So we'll we'll go to their store and give them samples of what we grow at their store. And this is just a service that we did for the stores. Said here we'll do this for you to promote to the markets. And so so that's we've done that several times in different things. You know whether it be prunes. So we took we took our our uh, dried prunes and our fresh plums, same product, you know, one's dried, one's fresh, kind of educate the public, but they're buying both of them. It, one, it's different departments, one's grocery, one's produce, but still they're educating them where to, what we have and, and showing them what, what, what to buy from, from the stores. Um, when we have a large volume of product, the best way for us is to ship to a distributor. And we've gotten acquainted with various, size, various sizes of distributors that can move with us from smaller to larger volumes and back to smaller as the season progressed. So, for example, zucchini. <laughs> yeah. So just with an acre or two of zucchini, you know, you might fluctuate from 220 to 200 boxes a day. I mean, a few acres, an acre or two. And as the season progresses, progresses to a fluctuating peak and down again. It needs an everyday pick for 68 weeks or more. It's weather sensitive for yield and size of length and girth. I have measured and drawn examples of the change of sizes from day to day to show our workers to emphasize the importance of picking clean and looking for each fruit to keep our pack size in the fancy and regular size, not mediums. And for another reason, if you don't pick every day, and the fruit gets big, and the vines fall over, you will be, uh, they will be in the way of your feet and make it difficult to pick. So usually when we decide not to pick for any length of time, we are done because of the cost to pick off the large fruit so the vines, to make the vines recover, and by then the vines will lay over and take more time to get through the field. So we're picking every day, and sometimes we, you look at our, our field crew out there, they're almost up to their up to here in, in zucchini vine, and our and our picking belt is right up there where with them because we try to get our vines to grow vertical, not lay over. If they lay over, they're in your way, in your feet. Just keep picking them. They we have a variety that pretty much displays itself right up the top, and it keeps growing that way. It comes out, so it says, "Here I am, pick me," and that's what we do. <laughs> and don't let them lay over. If you don't, you don't let them get big. You let, we, we, plant, we plant them, this is getting more of the culture, but that's fine. We plant, them at, uh, we plant them at 18 inches apart and five foot on the center. And then we, we walk through every day, of course, picking them. And as they grow, you know, some might lay over and the, and the crew will kind of move them a little bit. But once they, if they get up this high and they're just vertical and you let that fruit size and it lays over and it does it in the whole field, then you're just, and you got to pick them off to let them recover. Pretty much, we pick zucchini until we're done. And if the price goes down, that if the price drops and we're done, then we're just done. And then our crew goes out. They like to pick them. They like to pick them like this and make pickles out of them. 
sugar, 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 whatever they sugar milk. Candy. candy. They candy them. Mm-hmm. Hey, wait, before you work it up, we want to candy. So, so uh, we grow a variety called Noche. Yeah, it's a hybrid. It's a hybrid variety. Oh. So, so if you're if you're wondering about Sabbath on zucchini, is that a question that you've thought of? Nobody, nobody asked me that. So look, you, I'm telling on myself a little bit, but um, we what we'll do is now what we do is we we'll pick twice, or we pick real hard on Friday. We pick down to a, a extra fancy because by Sunday. Very small. Like like four inches, five inches. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's there's it's it's a subtle it's a subtle difference. You know, you can see it when they start to. Um, I mean, how much of that flower needs to be off? Do you ever pick them when the flowers still hang? Yeah, the flowers can still hang on them. Mm, not too much, probably. Yeah, it's all right. So yeah. Morning and afternoon, or or we pick late in the afternoon. Depends on you know we so many things to shuffle besides just picking zucchini. So we try to, but we pick with it takes a seven man crew to pick zucchini, and so if we have two crews going, it takes fourteen people. But you know that's ideal. We pick we pick on Friday. We usually go through with two crews, two picking crews, and pick real quick, and we pick small. And uh, do you use a tool or you just roll logs? Um, we have knives and we have, some of the girls can have learned how to twist them off and then we trim the ends. So every, every zucchini gets a, gets a cut, clean cut. Yeah. Well, you can. Yeah. They don't want me picking out there. Yeah. We just have a little homemade thing we did. Um, I don't know if it shows up here. Where am I? Okay. So uh, we've sold at farmers markets as a way to give our girls experience and get to know the community, but it has not been for us a way to move much produce in our circles or make much money. We do know growers who have tailored their crops exclusively for farmers markets and done very well and with that, with getting into very good markets. Farmers markets could not take a large volume all at one time for us when the harvest is at peak and usually what we did not sell was a loss for another day, another sale. So say, for example, watermelon or ambrosia. You grow a lot of ambrosia. That's, that's an everyday pick, too. It's like zucchini. It's like, it's like a type of cantaloupe. And, you know, we'd take a, it would be nice. The fragrance would just fill the market street up all the way down the street. But if you didn't sell them, you lost them. And then you needed to sell not just, you know, if you had an, even just on an acre or two of watermelon, you know, you need to sell a truckload. We'd sometimes just order the whole semi-load to come into our place. Say, just bring me the whole truck. And we load it up with bins and ship it. We can't, you can't do that at the farmer's market. You just say, hey, just send me the semi. I'll load 20 bins on there, whatever, 20 pallets. And you can't, so that's one of the things we ran into. Now, we have another guy, that guy that sells at the farmer's market. He grew peaches, and he do, that's all he did was do markets. And he did like some of the really good markets sell peaches for three bucks a pound and, uh, you know, move his whole crop like that. But he had maybe five acres of peaches and he would, he would grow his peaches at intervals because yeah. with peaches you can scatter that out. Right. And that worked pretty good. 
We sold local ripe at roadside, at home fruit stands. Farmers markets were not developed. So in our time, farmers markets didn't exist when I first started, very much. That was relatively new after we got started. They kind of developed in the cities and that kind of stuff. So we, we hadn't developed that as a norm. Um, but I think, this is my personal view, I think that with selling just wholesale, it's not enough. Because, in general, if you're really going to maximize your farm, because you're just taking out the premium. Finding a place for your ripe or choice grade at retail or processing of some type, such as drying or canning, is a way to capture more money from what is grown. I think the best sweet spot for our size of produce growing is doing a combination of wholesale and local sales with fruit stand, either from farm or roadside and CSA, for ripe or choice grade fresh. Possibly even marketing the farm with education or farm events the public will pay to attend, such as for schools and people groups. So, personally, I would like to have some outlets for our, our, our ripe fruit. And we have in the past. But we've kind of moved all the wholesale, and I think we're losing a lot of money, leaving money. We sell the local fruit stands. They come pick it up from us, and they take it to the fruit stand. We don't, you know. Now, we did the general store for a, a year or two, and Judy would sell um, local crafts that people in the area would make and bring for her to sell, and then produce in the store and that kind of thing. But it didn't seem to move a lot of volume for us unless you were to keep at it. If we'd been at it for, say, 20 years, I don't know, 10 years, I don't know, pretty soon you get a reputation, and, it's, and you make it the thing that people want to come to, because I really think that a lot of people want to come to the source. They want to go support the farmer. They want to talk. In fact, me as a, as a broker farmer selling my own produce seemed to be a leg up from just the broker. Because when, bro when the produce markets talked to me, the grower, that seemed to be one, I don't know, something they wanted to do, I guess. They want to talk to the farmer. What do you got? You know, what's that? Actually, how we move a lot of our not premium produce is everybody just said they could come and get it. Yeah, so we end up giving a lot away. Uh, our work, we, what we do, we set everything out that we at our out of the pack shed on a table, and the workers get first take home. They get to take whatever they want, and then people come from the community, and we kind of try to hedge that a little bit. Like you know, we don't get beat up. You know, by taking coming and just taking everything. You know, but that happens. Yeah, that's right, right on near our place there. So we developed a CSA for a while, and I think it could work well for us as a secondary way to move produce and develop local markets and relationships. But it definitely adds another factor of detail and management for someone. I jokingly say, I have a CSA. I grow it, put it in a box, put it on a pallet, load it on a truck, ship it to a store, and people come and pick out what they want. <laughs> It really is rather efficient. I have mostly worked on growing high-quality produce to pack as much as I can for wholesale quality for retail stores and try to compete with products that require the same investment and labor as any other farm or some small specialty of some kind. Not this. So this is your carrot. This, I, was, I was there. This, we were working right alongside this field 
when we're harvesting nuts down in near Bakersfield. And this kind of opened my eyes because I was growing carrots. And these are square miles sections of land, all organic, because this is out in the desert and there's been nothing else used on the land until they put water on it. And so they grow carrots by the square mile and the harvester comes and digs them with that machine. They go right into the trucks and they haul them right in to be processed. Now that's for a processing to carrot. You know, they do the little ones or whatever else. So you buy those in the stores. You know, it's uh, Bunny Love or uh, Grimway or, or uh, Bolt House. This happened to be Bolt House, I think. And, you know, it's a nice product, but, you know, there you go. Um, so, again, as I, as I said, you, you can develop an economical market that will buy carrots from you if you can develop an economical market that will buy carrots from you for a price that pays for digging and washing on a small scale, that could work. So I am not discouraging that. But know your cost and market. In my opinion, you're not going to compete with the large farms and stores on price. So the added value would be customers who want what you have, want you to have a, want to have a local food supply or a flavor or type of freshness they want a good place for farmer's market, CSA, or retail. We have some carrots that we grow that we love, and we can't get them in the store. So we grow carrots that we really like. So co-ops. We are members of grower co-ops. They have been a good way for growers to pull resources and concentrate more on growing rather than processing and marketing. Some of the early co-ops were what my grandfather helped start in Montana to organize buying and marketing power with the grain growers there. My dad was growing orchards of walnuts and prunes and later peaches here in California, working in grower marketing co-ops for, for prunes, walnuts, and in canning and marketing co-ops for our peaches, each with separate management and grower boards. They have provided a good way to, to work together as growers to pull our resources for marketing and processing. Processing. We grew up being a part of those and continue to be a part of those as, now as well. This can be a way to concentrate on gr the growing side and not worry about the marketing. So our peach, our peach grower co-op is a bunch of growers that got together when the peach market was terrible and they didn't have a sale for their crops. So we pulled together and bought a cannery and we've expanded it out to buying a tomato cannery and now it's you know it's canning and distributing of April, you know, fruit cocktail and tomato products in California. So just as a, if you want to know where to buy your tomatoes or your canned peaches, if you buy in, in your stores, from like your, your major stores and you buy their house brand, like say Walmart, you buy their great value or Kroger's or say Safeway, it's, what is it, Townhouse? You're buying our peaches. You're buying from a grower co-op in California that has pulled together and we're canning and we're putting labels around whatever label you want on our peaches. Yeah, private label. So we do all the private labeling. You buy tomatoes products, and you're buying a California-grown, at least a lot of majority of sorts of all the ones that I know of. Is everybody in the co-op organic? No, no. So this is a conventional peach. Yeah, so I'm in a partnership with my brother, and we grow these in a, um, 
for a, as a conventional peach. Yeah. They have, uh, yeah, they have. They they're now doing. So we're we're considering. Uh, we've just been in talks with them about doing some organic peaches for them, which would go to the processing side. And so you know they want they don't they're finding they don't have the demand. They they have more demand than they have product for their organic peaches. They can't they can't get enough grown organically grown peaches. So we're trying to see what we can do to fill that slot. Um, tomatoes, they can you do both? Well, you you can. I think you have to you have to you know you come with your inspections. You got to do clean, you know record good record keeping and all that stuff. You have to make sure you so you know keeping records of all your bins and all your harvesters. Yeah, there's there's all kinds of so when we do our prunes. All my prunes are organic, but we also have, I have conventional with my brother, and so we have to follow, you know, if we're going to, we have separate bins, we have separate, we, we have to document our washing of all of our harvesters, and everything we do has got to be, follow a certain set of rules to move into an organic field, that kind of stuff, so. So anyway, that's... Um, you use the same bins and same harvesters, you just have to like, wash them? You have to wash and document your washing, yeah, yeah, you can. Yeah, I don't do that. I use separate bins for my harvest. Um, so where are we here? We move down. Um, so, oh yeah, that other picture. This, so this is our kiwi. We don't do those anymore. This is my couple of my girls and a friend of theirs. We're out picking kiwi together. How do you? How is it bred in, in market shifts or whatever? Like you don't do kiwi anymore. You came to a point where it's like. We're not doing kiwi anymore. Was it because it was hard to grow, or because the market wasn't there? It, it was twofold. Twofold. We we lost our we lost our uh, kiwi crop. We lost our vineyard two two times over a space of ten years from wet winters, and so the we just didn't replant the third time. And we we did we did we sold our own kiwi, and then the market dropped to where it was not real lucrative to keep going. And so a lot of people pushed. We did because we lost our field, and then um, and then now the the market's good. If you'd stayed in it and you've toughed it out, you'd be doing well right now. You know, because people are buying and putting kiwi back in. So it's just a, it's a move. It's a change. Well, they're boxing. They're marketing a lot better now. They haven't even moved full boxes. Yeah, makes you feel good. Makes you feel good about buying them, right? So here, yeah, so I've just a few comments here as a contrast because early on the prune co-op was not interested in marketing my prunes as organic. This is back when we were, we were kind of uh, um, out of step and being laughed at. That, that's, that's my, my organic was kind of like we were the nut, we were the nut cases in the industry. So they, they didn't want to buy my organic prunes, so I started selling my own, and I withdrew my acreage out of the co-op. And I've been marketing my own fruit, arranging my own processing and sales since then. I fortunately live in an area with smaller processors willing and with equipment to help me out. Like I say, my brother and I continue to work in a co-op to market our canning peaches. It provides a good way for us to market them. I can explain some more of those details. Yeah, whatever, you know, like I've been doing. So here's a very small kiwi market. We, we were part of a very small Kiwi Market Grower Co-op. We, we formed it because we, a lot of us small growers had kiwi 
and uh, it's for much the same reason. We were trying to pack. Um, you, you try to do all your own packing and, and marketing. Mainly it was the packaging for me because you set up a pack shed and you buy all your packaging and then you have all the inventory of packaging left over from year to year if you aren't doing a high volume. So it was better for us to form a co-op and we, we, we pulled our resources and we had one packing operation packed for all of us organic growers because that was the other thing. I took a little bit of organic fruit into a, a, a processing plant. They didn't want to mess with me. So by going together and, and putting our stuff together as a pool, we could organize and, and, and work together to get our stuff packed and marketed as small growers. And then we did the same thing. And then I got out of the Kiwi, so I'm not part of that anymore. That still exists as far as a marketing co-op. So you wear gloves when you pick all your stuff to keep Primarily your fingernails, uh, in this case, you, you don't want to scratch those skins or... or, or yeah, food safety things kind of changed that. That was before food safety. That just could protect the fruit. Those are like plastic gloves, or does it have to be plastic gloves? Those are cotton. Those are just a cotton glove. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're pretty itchy. Kiwi are real fuzzy and real abrasive, kind of, the, in the vine. Who's the guy in the picture? That's my dad. That's your dad. When he took all his hair off. He had um, uh, cancer and... I think he just decided to take his hair off and leave it off all the time. Yeah, that's right. It was that Mr. Clean. So here's, here's another little thing we did. We, we marketed through trade shows to develop clients for our products. I split the cost of this uh, booth with another farmer. He was selling windbreak trees, and I was selling kiwi nursery vines for fruit vineyards. This was a local trade show. I went to other larger trade shows and took a rented RV so my family could attend with me for a three-day show. Uh, so this, this is early on, some of the stuff I was doing. Um, I, I started with Kiwi Vineyard when I first started because I didn't have a lot of land, but there was a high demand for plants. And so I just grew from seed, grafted, and dug them up, by, dug them bare root, and then I did trade shoes to, to sell them. And we developed, you know, we developed business out of that. And that's how we did it. We just, because to get people to see us, you go to the Tulare Farm Show in California, it's huge. You, you'll be horse after three days just talking to people. Pretty soon you've been talking all day long. And you make sales, you know, and so that's what we did. This wasn't promoting kiwi fruit. I just put that in there to, to grab attention to the, to the people that went by. But we, then we sold our own kiwi fruit later. So I grew all my own plants for my own vineyard, and I sold plants also what I had extra and then that's how I got started because I didn't have plants were expensive so I thought well I'll grow my own but that's expensive too so yeah. especially with my learning curve so I had a big, pretty big learning curve there so for me the value added is doing and being close to direct sales you know I we we have we have places in the marketplace that would like to maybe buy from us a value-added product that we have presented to them on our own that features our product, but it would have to go into a package. And we sell all, everything bulk and non-packaged. But they said, when you get something, that we've taken samples to them. We've, when you get something, come to us and let us know when you've got it. And we just haven't pursued it. Partly the, you know, going through the hoops, we haven't decided to do that. 
And, but it is an option. There's a lot of room in some of these realms that we found. Once you have a place in the market that people see you and recognize you, it gives you an avenue maybe to present something else. And that's kind of what, you know, but we haven't gone there yet. Hey, Brad. Yes. If you were, I don't know, you must have been, that was probably, that picture was taken more than a year ago, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's what Was, was I, did Those you? shirts are still inside. <laughs> Wait a minute, that's the one I have on. She <laughs> <Jeez>, looks. <laughs> no, I'm just wondering, uh, if you were that age again. Yes. Today. Yes. Oh, what, from your from your experience of where you've been, what what would what would you what would you do different or than from a market standpoint now? What, what would you what, I mean you know what you know now. I know that's impossible. That doesn't, that's not how it works. But you're talking to a kid that age. What would you tell him? What to grow and what to do for farming? Well, I mean, from a market standpoint, what would you say? I mean, we're talking about marketing right now. What would you say? Hey, I think this would be a good, you know, because you don't have, you don't have anything. Well, well, and maybe that's part of what I've been trying to go through is the process that I went through to get to here. Yeah. And that's what I've been explaining is we've been through all these avenues from just having growing something and going, okay, what do I do with this? And starting to roadside it, starting to go to stores, starting, and I took, I took a truckload of stuff to the coast and I started meeting people on the road, on the stores as I went across and they started buying from me. So they would buy from me again as I go. Um, doing this or something like that where you make contact. So as, as I've done that and then going to the wholesale market, and looking at what they've got. So if, if I knew what I wanted to grow or I knew a realm of things I wanted to grow, yeah. then I would go, okay, who's gonna recognize me? And so that's why I say, which comes first, the product or the market? Yeah. You know, we did both. We said, okay, I wanna grow this. I like doing this. Can I sell it? And then I started going to the markets. I, I started with tomatoes and, and kiwi nursery because I could grow this, I could make on a on an acre of ground, I could grow maybe six thousand plants and sell them for seven bucks a piece. That was a two-year project. But for me, living by myself at home, I mean, I didn't have a lot of overhead, and so that worked okay. Yeah. And then, as I gained a little momentum, made some sales, and did, got my nursery, my stuff, my stuff established. That's kind of the process I went through. Um, but I don't know your location. What would you be growing? What would you want to grow? What is what would grow in your area if you're if you're growing something? Yeah. And then where would you sell it? Those are the questions I start asking. And in in my case, there's bigger growers, so there's big grower co-ops. I could go out and plant a walnut orchard, or a peach orchard, or a prune orchard, and there's somebody there that's going to want to sell it for me. I wouldn't be selling it myself, but I could probably sign a contract to say, okay, we'll buy it. It may not be, you may not know the price you're going to get, but there will be a sale within the market that will happen and you'll have a home for your product. And then you just have to fine-tune your growing practices to what you think you can compete with. You know, what, how, what are your efficiencies? You know, how are you going to, you know, do you have, uh, you're going to do it with a hoe or a shovel or you do it with a tractor or, you know, and then that's kind of determines your market too. And I, I'm not minimizing the smaller I'm, I'm, a, I'm in a squeeze. I'm probably in the squeeze 
uh, between small and big. And we're getting squeezed. And it's getting tougher. And I don't know whether I'm going to get smaller or get out. <laughs> well, well, bigger is for us in some ways. Big is big maybe for this seminar, for what people think we are. But you look at big in agriculture, we're not big. And I'll get into some of that. I've got some pictures here of a farm that we work at or worked at that is big, very big. And we've been there for 30 years. You want to see big. So I don't know if I've really answered your question very well um, because I know what you're, I know what you're thinking. And, and the process, I'd be doing the same thing you would be doing. But you can, you can call me. Tell me what you're doing. <laughs> Tell me what you're doing. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll think of it as much myself as I am. Yeah, yeah sure, so sure. Yeah. yeah, and you're starting too. I mean, you're not starting from... Do you have somebody else that's coming in front of you? No. No. And, 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 and this may be a little bit discouraging. I look at my position in farming as relatively early in the game, or late in the game. Late in the game. So, in California, in my area, there's other farmers who have been there for a lot longer. And so they have a bigger base and a farther, you know, head start. My dad came in the 50s. That was relatively late in some of the farms stuff we were doing. There's other growers in that area, a kiwi grower that moved in who had never farmed before. He's what relatively newcomer. He's probably been there for at least 30 years now. He's carved out a pretty good place for himself. He bought a farm, developed it as a kiwi, and got into packing. But see, he had a value-added business that would not just for growing. He started packing for other growers and expanding his base by building his income from packing taking an income from that. So some, in some cases, like we did, we, we moved into custom harvesting to give us an alternative income along with our system we already had. So I'm thinking we're working within a system that exists that we're doing and we're expanding that into the same areas that we can generate income from. Yeah, so for example, as a small grower, you're not going to want to buy I you're not going to want to buy a lot of equipment. But you may could hire somebody else to come in and do part of your work. Right. And you don't have to have all that overhead and expense. So that's what we did for other farmers. We went in and harvested their, their crops for them because they didn't want to buy a harvester. And so that's an option too, but I don't know. So I'm trying, you know, I, you're in Oklahoma. And I don't know Oklahoma. In California, it's about anything. You know, you've got a wide open space to grow something in California. Um, and California also has markets. So I don't know what your markets are, you know, and where you are. You know, we, like I said, when we, when we started growing organic, the local people didn't want to buy from us. They thought we were nuts. And they thought... No, we just want cheap food. We don't want that high-priced organic stuff. And so we went to the whole markets and we said, hey, yeah, they said, yeah, pick me, pick me. Bring it over here. And so that's what we did. We just said, okay, there we go. You know, and so maybe there's other places like that in your area because now I see, you know, some of the younger generation, like even my kids, they want, they're, you know, here's, here's the thing that I heard from one of our 
gals that works in the management of our co-op. She says, we think that we're going to have to supply our customers 50% organic in the next few years. How are we going to convert our growers to organic production? Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but that was stunning to me. So there's maybe a room in there, and I don't know if that's true or not, but when I look at the younger generation, sometimes I think maybe that's what's, what it's gone to. I don't know, you know, if that's... And I'm not necessarily thinking that's the only way to grow stuff, but that's kind of what we do, you know. I think the conventional market has moved to what it is because it's efficient and it works, you know, and you can produce something fairly cheap. may not be the best thing over in the long run, but it works. I don't know. So I, you know, I, maybe getting some of my, some of my view of things is I don't necessarily, I find it, I'm, I'm, I'm wide open to some, I guess when I think of small growers trying to get started, I think it'd be, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> well, I'm thinking in terms of farming in general. I think when you're looking, you got to look at your markets, obviously, but when you tr if you try to compete on a, you can't compete on price if you're going to go to a different type of growing method. You know, you've got to find your market. Organic, conventional, you're not going to, you know, at least the way it is now, you're growing, like I say, you grow field tomatoes and you're getting paid 40, 50 bucks a ton for tomatoes, for field tomatoes. You know, what is that, two cents a pound? You know, something like that. Three cents a pound, maybe, you'd be happy. Wow, I got 60 bucks a ton this year. You know, there you go. So that's pretty cheap, you know. And that's field tomatoes, machine picked, ketchup sauce, whole, peeled, diced, salsa, all that kind of stuff. So you have to carve yourself out a spot in there that says, you want my product, and this is why. So kind of like when you go to these other like, stores, you're not just selling products, the stores that go to these stores, you're selling an idea, you're selling a philosophy of selling yourself. Yeah, and, and people want, I think in this case, the stores we're going to, they want to be connected to the farmer. And we're helping them establish that base. They want to know where their food's coming from, who we are, and how it's grown. And that doesn't happen in the conventional market. So I think there's the difference of what we've tried to do to establish our place. And even if we're not there, we're in touch with the management that does that. And we've also gone to the stores that said, here we are, this is who we are, and that provides them, that's a reason for the whole, the, the buyer, the produce markets to buy from us, because we've gone to their stores, and they say, well, th we want to support this farm. And, so. and when we go visit them, we don't always go physically buy this from this kind of thing, but a lot of our visits are, we just give them gifts, Yeah, right, so we're going to see them, say, here, hi, and I might, I, you know, I grow popcorn for fun. And uh, it's great popcorn. And so I use that for gifts. I grew popcorn this year. Well, it's a lot of work. But it's fun to get the result of it. I mean, yeah, we... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, and so we do stuff like that for gifts or whatever. So it's not like we're taking them... So we're going to our customers and say, here, have some prunes. I mean, that's nice. I like prunes. 
but you take some popcorn, or I'll take some homemade bread. So, so it's kind of an odd deal. Here, here, here we're going to these, here we're going to these big fancy buildings, going up the elevator, and we're going into a, a door you can't go through without permission, and we go into an office and we take them homemade bread, and they think it's great. We're all just people, you know, yeah. Yeah, in, in some in some places, because we on our vegetable side, we've we've gone from we've been cutting down. We've gone from thirty acres down to five, but even at five acres, it's a lot of produce. You can move a lot of stuff in five acres. I mean, we you look at our gross dollars on five acres on a good year. It's amazing. It's incredible. I can't hardly believe it sometimes myself. And I go, wow. But you know, the net out of that, the net out of that is like, well, it's still good. But so there's a lot of dollar flow, but the net, you know, like you might produce boom, all this dollar flow, but then you what you left over is not that much. So the margin's still there, but you, you know, you do a lot with that dollar flow. You know, it's it, it you you incorporate your life with it. You know, so on five acres, yeah, and some I think you you know, on you look at one acre, you think, well, I could I could do a lot of work on one acre myself and probably do pretty good. Do you have a percentage that um, it takes? this much gross, but do you kind of in your mind know it takes 50%, it takes 40%, it takes 60%, do you know what you're operating? And that would not be, I'm not talking about salaries, I'm talking about the operating expenses of the farm and seeds and, you know, it, yeah, I mean, I guess you would have to include your, what you pay your laborers in your situation. Yeah, and I think, I think, uh, to try to give you a number right now, You know, because, you know, we're, the, the vegetable side, the, the, the hard part we have is, in cost accounting, is trying to take a lot of the overhead and dividing it out to, say, orchard with, and, and vegetables, but, um, I'm trying to, yeah, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get a number for you that would, what's our overhead, what you're thinking, is that what you, well, just, on a per acre basis, or? I would say ours is a lot less. We, our operating expenses are a lot more than 50%. Yeah. And I've talked to other growers that were similar in our business, and they were saying that they maybe would keep 3 or 4%. And I, you know, I'd say, yeah, so I'd say we're probably close, maybe it'd be more like 10%, and the rest is operating expenses and business, somewhere in that range. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit 
www.audioverse.org.